Hey, Joe, you want to play 20 questions? Okay. Okay, I got one. Are you a movie? Yeah. Are you Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey? Whoa, yeah! Greetings, my most excellent friends. Welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans get together and have a rockin' good time talking about all of your favorite movie soundtracks. I am your host, Joseph Wade, and here with me tonight, as always, is my lovely and belligerent and most non-heinous co-host, Libby Cudmore. Libby, what is shaking? Oh, we are living in heinous times indeed, my good friend. Oh, absolutely. And we need every bit of levity and fun and lightness we can possibly get in these most non-righteous of times. (laughs) It's as if people have forgotten to be excellent to each other and to party on. Well, then it's a good thing we're here this week because we, we come bringing a sequel message of sorts to our original Bill and Ted episode, because this week we're talking about the sequel, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Most excellent, my friend. Yes, most excellent indeed, because this is, uh, we kind of did this to coincide with the release of Bill and Ted Face the Music, the long-awaited 30 years later sequel to Bill and Ted's 1 and 2, and uh, we could not be more excited to be able to talk about Bill and Ted some more tonight. Yeah, this is, uh, I think, in some ways, part of why we started this podcast in the first place. I know you've been wanting to do this one for a while, so here we are. Uh, I, I didn't even care about Excellent Adventure. I was ready to just leapfrog it and go straight to Bogus Journey. But you know, <laughs> we have to give it time and do our due diligence. And every Bill and Ted movie deserves you know, a moment in the sun. Indeed. So Libby, I guess my first question to you is, um, what's what's your? are you familiar at all with Bogus Journey? Or were you... Uh, a fan of this movie before we did this episode? What's, I remember what's watching it probably right after I watched uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which I think, as I said then, I kind of came too late, but enjoyed. And so watching this one, uh, I realized this is the better film. And I really, I, I, was, I remembered a lot about it and kind of enjoyed this one much more. My husband, Ian, actually really liked this one a lot. So he was a little on the fence about the other, but um, really, really kind of enjoyed this one. Yeah. What about you? Because this is, I mean, this is your baby. This is my, yeah. I love, I love this movie. I absolutely genuinely love this movie. And (laughs) I think I had, had caught up with the Bill and Ted movies at some point in high school because, you know, what high schooler doesn't want to time travel with historical dudes and uh, meet you know, the Grim Reaper and also aliens from outer space. Like it's just, these are the perfect movies for a, a kid in high school, but something about a uh, bogus journey just kind of stuck to me. It, it like glommed itself onto my soul. And like, I was, uh, I was obsessed with it into high school or through high school and into college. And even into my adult years, it's just something that I always come back to because it's so strange compared to the first one and takes so many weird chances. And a lot of that really is just, it, it fits my personality. It fits my sense of humor. It's just, it just does everything that I would want out of a weird sci-fi comedy. 
I, can't, I don't know. I, yeah. I, we'll get into a lot of that tonight, but uh, this is genuinely one of my favorite movies. Okay, well, that's how I know that you're not an evil Joe. <laughs> you're not an evil robot Joe. What would an evil robot Joe say is his favorite movie? Uh, hmm. I don't know, but I, Smash Mouth is definitely involved. Man, Steve Smash Mouth is just really... He really is like the, the arch nemesis of this podcast. He is. So we hate ways. that guy. Although this morning, uh, my first waking thought was of Smash Mouth in a way is because my cat was walking on me and just like walking <laughs> all over me. And I turned to my husband and said uh, in an extreme Steve Smash Mouth voice, like, you might as well be walking on your mom. Because <laughs> that's what they were doing. He did not get it because he was asleep. <laughs> and I was mad that he didn't laugh. If he had turned to you and quoted another Smash Mouth song, would you have just kicked him out of the house? Probably. If he had turned to you and just said, then the morning comes. <laughs> yeah, no, then. That's true. I would have ended in divorce. So. <laughs> if, Quot- quoting Walking on the Sun is acceptable. Any other Smash Mouth song? No. If That's he had a made a cat pun on it, though, then uh, that would be acceptable. Maybe, maybe. So, all right. Well, let me take you to billboarding school for just a hot minute because uh, there's some very interesting stats related to this movie. There always are. There, oh, there always are. I always find these, these fun little nuggets. Uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey debuted on the Billboard 200 at number 88 on July 27th, 1991. Number one album that week was Natalie Cole's Unforgettable. Unforgettable with love, excuse me. And the number two album was Van Halen's album uh, for unlawful carnal knowledge, also known as Fuck, which was at some point the number one album in America. So even like Bill and Ted still is still following around Van Halen at this point. Yes. <laughs> at the top soundtrack that week, uh, number six, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Oh, God, no. Yeah, really? No, God. Uh, this album stuck around the charts a lot longer than the, the Excellent Adventure album did. Uh, it lasted 14 weeks, peaked at number 28. The week it fell off the charts, the number one album in America was Garth Brooks's Rope in the Wind. <laughs> Somehow it went from bad to worse. I, yeah, 1991 was not the, not the best year. Yeah. We'll get into a little bit of that a little bit later because I think this movie really is sort of, um, it's a signpost for where music was in 1991. Yeah. And it definitely is sort of a changing of the guard. Like this movie, I think, is the turning point from sort of the the hair metal scene to like the 90s alt rock scene and it all kind mm-hmm. of pivots right here. Ooh. Yeah. I, to, I actually that I have very uh, very similar notes there. But um this one I I'm sad to say and this is a spoiler alert for anyone who's listening there's no Bricklin on this podcast. No. Very sad. The, the the King of Prussia uh, Historical Museum has has no has nothing to say about Bill and Ted's bogus journey. <laughs> Pour one out for Brooklyn, everyone. Oh goodness. So here here's like where I want to start with this movie though is so Excellent Adventure comes out and it's like a surprise hit. And it's a big hit with kids and like young teens. So obviously they make video games and comic books. And an animated TV series. They made a Saturday morning cartoon out of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Most excellent indeed. Most excellent because Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter and George Carlin all came back to voice their characters. But only for the first season. 
<laughs> After season one, the show went from CBS to Fox. And Fox was already in the process of making their own live-action Bill and Ted series. No. So they got rid of uh, Keanu and Alex Winter and George Carlin. They cast the live-action TV series crew to voice season two. Oh, God. (laughs) As a way of, like, promoting the new live-action series. Then the new live-action series comes out, lasts for eight episodes, and is gone forever. And is genuinely one of the worst things I've ever seen on TV. How does it rate against the Clerks live action series? Ooh, okay. It's <laughs> it's roughly on par, and all I can say is that uh, at least they killed Clerks in the cradle. <laughs> <laughs> they went back in time and killed Clerks. Yeah, I did not. I knew the Bill and Ted cartoon existed, yeah. but I did not know that there was a, a live action series, and my life is darker for it. <laughs> oh that's 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 your burden to bear this podcast that's what i'm here for is to deliver these just depressing (laughs) facts for you (laughs) that should be the the section of our podcast like depressing facts for you (laughs) billboarding school and also depressing facts for you man i just have all of the worst segments on this show all right well walk us through uh through this movie what is, what is the, uh, right. the plot of Bill and Ted's bogus journey? Okay. <clears throat> so following Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, Bill and Ted have, fin- they have done their history report. Ted does not get shipped off to military academy. And it seems like everything's great in the world of Bill and Ted. And they are, in fact, are, the future is saved. The future is, des- is once again destined to be rescued by the two great ones, Bill and Ted. Well, at the beginning of Bogus Journey... We are in the future, San Dimas, California, 2691, and a villain appears in the form of uh, character actor Joss Ackland as Chuck Denomalus, who has no patience for this culture that Bill and Ted has created. And he is determined to send two evil robot Bill and Ted's back into the past to kill Bill and Ted and stop this totally righteous future from ever happening. So... In this, in the very first scene of this movie is Rufus is teaching a class at Bill and Ted University, a class on the physics of acoustic reverberation, which is basically the science of music. Yes, that part's awesome. Uh, my distaste comes from the kind of music they play, although they do bring in uh, Jim Martin, the guitarist for Faith No More, which is pretty rad. Yes, and if you're going to get anybody from Faith No More, you get the guy who looks like a cartoon character. He's the <laughs> So Rufus brings in um, Johann Sebastian Bach and Jim Martin, founder of the Faith No More Spiritual and, Th- and Theological Center. And also uh, some other, I, for- I did not catch her name. I forgot it. But It's uh, Rhea Pichel. Rhea Pichel. Thank you. A-, a space musician from the future, apparently. And that's honestly like what I want to look like. It's a pretty good look. Yeah. So because everybody else, as my husband described, looks like a He-Man action figure. The future is ugly and bad. The future is like, what if we dressed everybody in Nerf balls? <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> yeah. Um, that being said, uh, that vision of the future is somehow bleaker than the one we are in now. How so? It's just, it's sterile. It's like, everyone's wearing really hideous clothes. Uh, it's, it's just, I don't know, there's something... <sighs> unfeeling about it 
there's like too mechanical, uh, too technological, and there doesn't seem to be any personality to it. Yeah, I get that. And and it seems like they just they really did just take a bunch of um like neon felt padding and just threw it on some actors. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, and it's like I love that the future is based on music, but the idea that we sort of only listen to uh the metal we're going to hear on the soundtrack breaks my smooth heart. <laughs> it's just like there's a lot of music. God gave us all sorts of music, not just rock and roll. But fortunately, that's something that the new Bill and Ted movie picks up on, and they run with it. Oh, cool. It's a movie, It's I mean, without spoiling too much, it's a movie very much about the, the sort of the healing power of all music and the fact that, you know, music is better when there are, there are different genres and different styles and different ways of doing this thing. Awesome. It's most, great. Most righteous indeed. Yes. So uh, you, you have that to look forward to. But until then, this movie is still very much dedicated to the power of rock. <laughs> For better and for worse. Mostly for worse. Mostly for the worst. Because this this soundtrack, like I said, is it kind of pivots from uh, hair metal to alt rock on a dime almost. Mm-hmm. And it's a, a little bit of one, a little bit of the other. And the songs that I find myself gravitating to now are still the hair metal songs. <laughs> Which is weird because like the, the alt rock that is on the album is by three or four of my favorite bands to this day. It's just... Something about the 80s music hits harder and feels more authentic. Oh, I like that. It's like I'm going to be able to see into your soul tonight. Um, <laughs> I do like uh, Rufus's advice, don't do your homework without wearing headphones. That is most non-bogus advice indeed. And very important, do not do your homework without wearing headphones. Always have music playing. So in the middle of, of uh, Rufus's music class, uh, Denomalous and his fascist regime break in and hold everybody hostage. And it's also that they can steal Rufus's time-traveling phone booth because Denomalous has brought with him uh, robot Bill and Ted's. Now, what is your mission? First, we totally kill Bill and Ted. Yeah. Then we take over their lives. Then we utterly destroy them. Then at the Battle of the Bands, we give the speech they were going to give, except totally different. And that's a new future is born. I like that they say, like, we're total metalheads. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Stop it. Like, even as evil as they are, they are still very much Bill and Ted. Oh, yes. They are extremely programmed Bill and Ted. <laughs> they jump into the phone booth and they scream death to Bill and Ted, and then they're off. <laughs> Uh, but then we meet we meet Bill and Ted back in the present, and they're auditioning for the San Dimas Battle of the Bands, and it's going very poorly. Yes, they have not gotten much better. Now, Rufus promised us at the end of Excellent Adventure, he said, they do get better. Uh, we haven't seen it yet. No, it'll it'll happen, but not, not yet. I mean, they're still just... Uh, doing awful riffing and the princesses are there and they're they're playing they can play as Pam Greer points out like they can play they're good but Bill and Ted still suck yeah and that's typical yeah like the women are working hard and the guys are just fucking around I didn't believe that was Pam Greer at first and Ian was like no that's Pam Greer I didn't believe it because she somehow looks younger yeah she's looking pretty good in this one. yeah she looks amazing so I love her Pam Greer's the best so the first actual song we hear in the movie is the background track called The Reaper, 
which plays as Bill and Ted head home for the princess's birthday party. I think it's yes. their uh, 521st birthday party. <laughs> I mean, should we play a clip of the Reaper or is we absolutely we... have to play a clip of the Reaper? Let's do it. <laughs> Definitely uh, is a way of saying there's going to be a lot of shredding here. Just yes. settle in and get used to it. Absolutely, yeah. And it's kind of a happy medium between the 80s hair metal and the alt rock stuff because it's just Steve Vai shredding for uh, three minutes. What I really like about about him and about this is you can recognize that he understands music on almost a spiritual level. Uh, mm-hmm. Because it's it's not just sort of like mindless noodling. Um, he understands how notes exist in a sonic space. And he creates kind of this whole landscape in, yeah, in just three minutes. Yeah, a lot, a lot of the riffs, they have like a personality and, and they have a very playful vibe to them. Mm-hmm. And it's just the, the, the best sort of musical introduction to the world of Bill and Ted. Yeah, it, it kind of sums up not just what you're going to hear, the type of music you're going to hear, but gives you an innate understanding of the characters of the world, of sort of the, the film itself, in a, in a very organic and sort of understated way. It's not, he's not wrapping the movie as it's going to happen. It's just this sort of, musical foreshadowing almost it kind of is yeah like this is this is the fun you're going to have along the way because it, it's it very much fits the tone of the movie i think mm-hmm. it's fun but also it shreds and it's it's i'm not gonna say dark but it's uh it, it takes a little dark in some places a little bit it's 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 very cinematic shredding mm-hmm. so. which yeah is, is great and also yeah. i love that it's it plays through almost that entire birthday scene Mm-hmm. It's just the background music for the party because that's the kind of stuff Bill and Ted listen to. Yeah, they have a nice record collection there on the. On the oh shelf. yeah, I wanted to flip through it. That's always my my impulse when I I see somebody's record collection. It's like, yeah, let me judge them. <laughs> it's like whenever I watch a movie and I see a pinball machine, I have to pause it and see what pinball machine it is. <laughs> I can't help myself. Yeah, but so. Uh, so one of the better running gags throughout the series is that uh, Missy has divorced. Bill's dad and has married Ted's dad. And they keep saying that soon she's going to divorce Ted's dad and marry either Bill or Ted. Stay tuned for Bill and Ted face the music. Oh, God. Because <laughs> Missy's back. Oh, God. Is it the same actress? I think it is. Yeah. That's awesome. But it's just so sad to watch uh, Bill's dad just be depressed watching Missy make out with Ted's dad. Oh, Missy. I can't believe Missy divorced your dad and married mine. Shut up, Ted. But after that, despite them sort of, you know, staring at Missy, they actually have some very sweet vows as they ask the princesses to marry them. And they both individually read these vows. And I kind of want to just play the whole scene because the way they write it is great. As I wander through this dark and lonely forest of life, surrounded by various beasts, bears, vipers, squirrels, 
Not to mention small tree growing algae. Woodpeckers, Metawars, rats, starfish, slugs, blowfish, toads, catfish. Oh no, that's fresh water. Yeah, but it's very, I don't know. It's it's a good proposal. I'd say yes. I mean, how can you look at let those those sad Keanu puppy dog eyes and say no? <laughs> exactly. Who would do such a thing? I love how um how innocent Bill and Ted are even even at this point because they they start asking talking to each other about the princesses like, "Hey, I wonder after after we're married if the princesses will stay over with us." Yeah. <laughs> It's just like they still haven't gotten past first base. And it's like they're, they're, they're still like mentally 10 years old and it's just kind of adorable. Yeah, especially when you look at their apartment and for all the times they're like, whoa, 69, like they've never seen the princesses without their top on. Right. It's like they know the joke, but they don't get it. Yeah. So. <laughs> but then evil Bill and Ted show up. I'm glad they don't hit the cat. They try, though. They really I know, try. but I was just like, please don't show them hitting a cat because that would stress me out they lure bill and ted out to the desert because they've uh pretended they've called them pretending to be the princesses and the princesses are apparently are very angry with them but it's really just evil bill and ted you guys yeah and uh they're very pleased with how they do the princess's voice i do like when they show up in san dimas they're like not bad let's make it bad (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know why that amused me but it did but Ted has a weird feeling about these guys. Ted's got the bad feeling, but Bill, you know, he remembers the last movie. He remembers that everything turned out okay. So why wouldn't we follow Bill and Ted into the desert? Yeah. And so <laughs> robot Bill and Ted shove Bill and Ted into a van and uh, they drive him off to uh, Vasquez Rocks in the, ca- in the California desert to the tune of Faith No More's The Perfect Crime. Let's go to a clip. Now, this is probably my favorite song on the album. I don't know a lot of Faith No More, but everything I've heard I really like, including this one. Again, I I like that it's a little bit more elaborate and there's a thoughtful construction. I love the piano. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of Faith No More. Like, their piano work is so good. Yeah, and there's all sorts of different elements other than just noise. You know, there's you know funk elements and they're, you know, heading into the early alternative rock scene. So I think they bring a lot to this song and thus to the soundtrack. They really kind of elevate it above that, like hair yeah. metal. And they, they do bridge that gap between like the 80s rock and the 90s rock very yeah. well. This song is, this is not the original version of this song. The original version of this song is called Sweet Emotion, which they recorded for their album, The Real Thing. But uh, they weren't fans of it. They kind of threw it away. But then I guess when Jim Martin got involved with this movie, they sort of reworked it, rewrote some lyrics and kind of just put it on the Bill and Ted soundtrack. And if you listen to the both both versions kind of back to back, there's something about this one that seems a little more a little more sparse and a little more ominous. Really? Yeah, because Sweet Emotion has first of all, it has nothing to do with the Aerosmith song. I think they just called it that as a goof. (laughs) <laughs> but it's Good. a little more aggressive and a little angrier. And this one takes, takes it down just a little bit. Makes it just kind of feel 
sinister a little bit and not absolutely in your face. Okay. So I think I think it works here. I'll have to go back and listen to uh, the original, if you will. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll send that one to you. I'll let you see. I'll see what you think. Okay. But did you notice uh, this is the only song on the album that references Station? Yes. <laughs> so, well, unless you count Winger's uh, Battle Stations. Oh, you know, I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, uh, in the in the middle of the uh, the bridge. Uh, under kind of under under his breath, Mike Patton just kind of says, uh, just kind of goes station, which is yeah. a, like a constant refrain in this movie for some inexplicable reason. <laughs> but yeah, so we'll we'll get to station in a little bit because station is unfortunately <laughs> station is special. Station upsets me. <laughs> yeah, uh, early in the film, station is just kind of a weird catchphrase that everyone seems to share. And it's not really explained until the end of the film. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but so um, Bill and Ted take Bill and Ted out to Vasquez Rocks uh, and, dr- and walk them up to the top of the cliff and then push them off the cliff. Yes. And uh, we hear uh, at this point we hear uh, Megadeth's Go to Hell. Yeah. Which, which is, is a touch on the nose is a music cue. Just a little bit. Now, this is the second time that we've encountered Megadeth on this show, and it's, it's the second time we're going to, I'm going to say I'm not going to play this Megadeth song, because honestly, it's not my favorite. No, and it, it's just one of those things, it's just not for me. Yeah. Megadeth I isn't, I'm, I'm not a, the audience for Megadeth. The artists on this album, from Megadeth to Faith No More to Primus and King's X, those are like four of my favorite bands and they have been since I was a teenager. So to have them all on this album, I think this is the album that really got me into all those groups. Okay. But aside from the Faith No More song, I don't think this album does any of those bands any favors. <laughs> but yeah, the Megadeth song is kind of just, yeah, it's a throwaway kind of on the nose little music cue. So, well, when I die, Joe, you can have all my Megadeth records. Mm, all four of them? Great. <laughs> So Bill and Ted are officially dead. Exactly at the 25-minute mark, they die. And robot Bill and Ted, uh, they, start, they start air guitaring and celebrating. And, yeah, uh, of course. Of course. Of course. They spy a, a red Porsche speeding down the highway. And they commandeer it, and they steal it driving back, and drive it back to town. All the while, oh no, the tiny little clip that, that like robot Ted uh, spies when he sees that Porsche on the radio is playing the King's X song, Junior's Gone Wild, for exactly yeah. two seconds. Yeah, and, and I, I didn't pick that up until I was going back through it, sort of marking where everything was. I was like, where is that song? I had to look it up. It's like a blink and you'll miss it moment. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like, why did they put it in there at all? Why not? Yeah, why not? People who drive Porsches like, like King's X, I guess. Sure. Uh, do you have any any thoughts or feelings about uh, Junior's Got Wild? Junior's <laughs> Gone Wild, excuse me. Um, I was sort of fascinated by this kind of like hard rock and metal because it's nothing like I listen to. The kind of metal I listen to is much more like symphonic. Like I listen to mm-hmm. Nightwish and Delane and things like that. Um, but see, I would have put this one during the Trash the Apartment sequence just oh, lyrically. Yeah, yeah it makes a lot more sense there. Yeah, and especially because uh, you're not going to get to hear it, but then when you listen to it on the soundtrack, you're like, why 
I just feel yeah. like it, it could have been used someplace else. Yeah, they could have actually made some good use of this song. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not a bad song, really. Yeah. It's it's fine for its type. Yeah. It King's X is kind of how do how would I describe? I would describe King's X as like if ZZ Top decided to try to be a funk band. Okay. Like that yeah, the, I, the metal okay, crunch and then kind of putting a lot more bass on top of it. That's you'd mm-hmm. kind of get King's X. Okay. That makes that's, sense. That's how I feel about it. <laughs> Again, I keep coming back to ZZ Top because it just something about King's X just sounds like that same kind of like funky sort of hard rock groove, but also there's got a little bit of soul in there too. Yeah, like some sort of like blues kind of undertones. Yeah. So then Bill and Ted are dead. Evil Bill and Ted are are off to destroy Bill and Ted's lives. <sighs> and then we meet perhaps the best character in the film because as as Bill and Ted have died, they are met by the Grim Reaper. Played by Mineville's William Sadler. <laughs> yes. One of the one of the great comedic turns of the nineties, I would say here. Yes. And he just from here on out just like picks up the film and runs with it. Yeah, he makes a meal out of this movie. And mm-hmm. his version of death, it's it's basically an extended riff on the seventh seal, the Ingmar yeah. Bergman film from the fifties. But for teens. But for teens, yeah. For, this is Ingmar Bergman for kids. <laughs> he tells Bill and Ted if they want to come back, they have to challenge him to a contest of some kind. And nobody has ever won. So Bill and Ted decide they're going to they're gonna ditch death and go try and find some other solution. <laughs> so they Melvin him, which apparently is like a wedgie in the front. I yeah, guess. I've never heard that term. Me neither. So I don't know if that's like a California thing or if it was made up just for this movie or like where that fits in the Urban Dictionary, but... Right, it's... I want to say they invented that for this because I, I hope so. <laughs> it's stupid. I'll say that. But again, like in in the way that Bill and Ted creates language, which I'd love to see like a paper on it, like <laughs> on, on just the the dialect that they create and this included. It's fascinating. It, it is. It's like they're, they're, you've got the Valley Girl th- sort of California surfer slang going on here but also there's something different because bill and ted are very much not a part of that scene it's -hmm. something else so it's it's lofty while also being ridiculously stupid (laughs) of course Mm -hmm. so then ghost bill and ted walk 50 miles back into town and they find the evil bill and ted are super rapey yeah not cool evil bill and ted are doing their damnedest to destroy bill and ted's relationships which makes no sense because bill and ted are dead yeah, but I guess they don't know that yet. I I guess not. Because they, they, can't, ass- they can't know that Bill and Ted are dead because they're ruining Bill and Ted's lives. They are, quote, Bill and Ted. Right. For all intents and purposes, this is Bill and Ted now. Yeah, and they're just going to ruin their lives. The rules don't matter because if they really killed Bill and Ted, then there's no reason for robot Bill and Ted to go back in time. And the robot Bill and Ted would just vanish, right? That's fair Maybe. for going by the Back to the Future rules of time travel. That's true. So Bill and Ted's rules of time travel are apparently a little more fluid. <laughs> yes, because uh, future Bill and Ted would know that Bill and Ted then defeated death because that goes to the end where, oh, we'll tell ourselves to do this in the future and then it happens. Right. But it will only happen for whoever wins. So obviously Bill and Ted have, have already won. Yes. As we find out. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Bill and Ted are the victors already. But so they they go to Missy's seance. Yes. 
and try to speak with her that way, she decides that they're demons and actually sends them straight to hell. Yes. And the special effects in that scene are so bad and dumb, but like (laughs) deliberately so, but also very 90s and awful. Yeah, like you can tell they were just trying to do the best they could with what they had. Yeah. It's it's very it's very hokey, but it works. And then uh from there Bill and Ted fall into a bottomless pit for what seems like eternity. Hey, you wanna play 20 questions? Okay. I got one. Are you a mineral? Yeah. Are you a tank? Whoa, yeah! Good one! But I love I love that because, you know, Bill and Ted are having the worst time ever and they're just trying to make the best of it. Yeah. They finally realize like they can stop screaming and they just, yeah. When they finally land, they're like, Oh, let's do it again. Yeah. (laughs) And I wish that scene had gone on longer so we could see that Bill and Ted doing other things while they're falling, (laughs) doing hand puppets or uh, doing charades, you know, something else. Switch sides. Switch sides. (laughs) So Bill and Ted are in hell now. Officially they are in hell. Yeah, so there's a very sexless metal Satan. Yeah, this is he, he's he's the Satan for like every uh, thirteen year old comic book dork. Ever. Yeah, he's just but. kind of a big red demon guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> Bill says one of the best, one of the better lines in the movie, where they're looking around hell, and he says, "We got totally lied to by our album covers." <laughs> and again, that's um. You know, we're sort of coming out of satanic panic. Yeah, yeah. By this point. But it was still not quite ever present. But yeah, by this time, I believe uh, had Tipper Gore made her panic shriek about content. I we're think still it, a little ways from that. It was either right before this or like concurrent with this. But yeah, it's th- that era of music. Mm-hmm. So. Um, but yeah, this was the era where like. You know, moms across America stopped complaining about Dungeons and Dragons and how evil that was and started complaining about music and video games. Yes. We had free reign to play with, you know, demonic imagery as much as we wanted to, as long as it was a board game. Yeah. So video games were going to corrupt us and ruin us. And so was satanic music. But unfortunately, hell is not that exciting. No. According to Bill and Ted's bogus journey. Hell is, in fact, pretty bogus because <laughs> most they, non-heinous really yeah it was Doesn't non seem... non non non-heinous the more the more nons bill puts on that i have to like really think about it yeah it's like two negatives equal positive but um unfortunately hell gets more heinous as we're about to find out hell is this entire series of like hallways and corridors with, with rooms where you can go in and be tortured by basically anything. Yeah. So like, cause it's each, it's your personal hell as they, they point out. So like, what would yours be? Mine? Ooh. You know what? My personal hell is sitting at any drive through and just waiting. Ooh. I hate it. Life is too short to waste it sitting in line at a drive through. That's fair. What about, what about yours? Mine would probably be, um, having a shirt with a tag in it. It's just itching between your shoulder blades, and also the Eagles are playing. Like football? It's just no. Like <laughs> it's just Hotel California, like oh. over and over and over. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty bad a, red, a pretty rough one. That's a nightmare, right? There. And then 
just as you think like, okay, maybe I can get used to it, they throw in Piano Man, and then you're just like, no, and then like it goes back to the Eagles. Oh no, it is nine o'clock on a Saturday. Oh my God. Yeah. And it's just like, no. That's that's my personal. I've, I've given a lot of thought about this because I'm probably going to end up there. But I'm just like, I yeah. know who I am. It's probably probably best to get get used to it now. Yeah, just, I've, I've I've surrendered to my fate. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, uh, we get three visions of hell in this sequence. Uh, hell number one is Bill and Ted are in Colonel Oates's boot camp. Uh, where he tells them to drop and give me infinity push-ups. <laughs> and they can barely do 10. Yeah. They're like, I don't know if I can do infinity push-ups. I'm like, well, of course not, dummy. You weakling. <laughs> so they escape and they split up and they go into each their own uh, personal hells. Ted is tormented by a demonic Easter bunny. Which is one of the film's very upsetting visuals. That thing is really creepy. It is, yeah. I found out recently that, that that bunny was designed by the same guy who designed the Chucky dolls for the Child's Play movies. That makes sense. He's a bad man. It's Yeah, it's rough. I wonder what that bunny is. I hope Keanu has it. I really hope Keanu just has that and is, <laughs> is keeping it locked up for the rest of us, you know? He's like protecting it. Protecting us. Protecting us, us from it. Yes, because we don't need that. We don't need to see no. that. Honestly, this point, I'm expecting like tomorrow that bunny will be named like secretary to the interior or something. Mm. <sighs> it's more it's more likely than you think. Oh yeah. No, It'll we're happen. all in hell. Yeah. Look look take a look around you, Livy. We're at the threshold of hell. Yeah. Then Bill's t- Bill's personal hell. He goes into like it's a it's a, a family gathering for his grandmother's birthday. And his creepy, gross old grandmother just wants to give him a kiss. Which is very, these are both very existential sequences. And they're very existential nightmares, again, for a film about two idiots who travel through time. Yeah. Because it, the Easter Bunny is because uh, he steals his brother's Easter basket. Right. And the Easter Bunny confronts him. So obviously he's still feeling some guilt over this, as Siggy would say. That's true. That's true. And that's that's so sad. That's terrible. Yeah. But then Bill, I wonder if it's just that Bill regrets not spending time with his grandmother, or if he actually thought she was creepy. Yeah, I was. I wasn't sure where that was going. Like, if she was gonna like fall over and have a heart attack, and then he was gonna regret that, um, or it was just like, look how gross this old lady is. Um, given the existential nature of uh, Ted's sequence. I feel like Bill's doesn't quite measure up to what it could have been and just sort of like simply uses like an old lady as a punchline. Right. So. And then, of course, the, the first hell, their shared hell is sort of their fear over their potential near future. Mm-hmm. Basically, if they don't save the world, their dads are definitely sending them to boot camp. Yeah. To military school. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that the princesses don't show up in their personal hell. Yeah, because you would think the princesses would have something to say about uh, having to be engaged to these these two idiots. Yeah, at some point about something. But I guess they think the princesses have already broken up with them. Maybe because as far as they're concerned, they already have. Yeah, so they might already have been in their own personal hell on Earth. But then this whole sequence is predicated on Bill and Ted getting through hell and getting back to Earth so they can rescue the princesses because they know that Robot Bill and Ted intend to kill them. 
Yes. So at, there's there's at least that cognizance of like of the stakes. Also, this entire middle section of the film, very little music at all. Mm-hmm. So uh, just bear with us for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> We'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll, we'll get there. So then Bill and Ted reconvene and decide that the only way out of hell is to challenge death to a contest. And they go to death's house, I guess. <laughs> his chambers. Yeah. His, his very peaceful, gloomy, dusty chambers. And they play a game of battleship. And they win. And death, being a very sore loser, challenges them to best two out of three. You must play me again. What? Um, best two out of three. No way! Yes way. And they agree. I mean, but, I guess what else are they going to do? Yeah, exactly. So it, it, it ends up being the best, uh, was it best four out of seven? Yeah, because they play Clue, then they play Mechanical Football, and then Twister. One of the best shots in this entire movie is death scowling at that little mechanical football guy as he just spins in a circle. Yeah, and he kind of, like, gurs at it. Like my cat at the mailman. Have you ever played one of those games before? One of those, like, electric football things? I've never even seen one. They're from the 70s, but they're very janky. And, like, they, I don't think they ever actually worked. Like, you put these little, mecha- uh, like, magnetic dudes on a on a metal plate, and then you turn the game on, and they all just kind of start moving. I get that they're supposed to move in sort of like a, a football play fashion, but in my experience, they just kind of scatter. <laughs> it just doesn't matter what they do. Okay. So I have so Bill and Ted must have defeated defeated death by pure luck. Mm-hmm. There's no other explanation. <laughs> but I always thought uh, that death's look was the inspiration for uh, for Bill Corbett later in MST3K because it's a very very similar look when he played the Observer. Ooh, yeah, I never thought of that. Yeah. No, because... I mean, it's a, it's a classic look, but um, especially the way that, that Corbett plays Observer, it's very much like uh, death in this, and that he's just constantly kind of exasperated. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess the, um, the Seventh Seal reference is one that a lot, a lot of movies and a lot of TV shows have made over the years. But yeah, I think maybe the Bill and Ted, like, version is is more of a touchstone that i kind of figured i hadn't thought yeah. about that yeah to the point where i remember seeing the seventh seal in college and be like ah yes <laughs> ah, i yes. have seen bill and ted's bogus journey i am a cultured film viewer <laughs> ah yes this movie ingmar bergman uh references I, bill and ted i love it yes i see where this ripped off yes <laughs> seventh seal ripped off bill and ted i get it mm-hmm. how very cultured of me mm, yes so <laughs> Bill and Ted uh, have death at their beck and call. So death takes them to heaven. Yes. And everyone in heaven wears sort of like 60s stewardess outfits, it seems. And everything is white or pink. Yes. Or like a very pale purple. Yeah. It's it's very washed out and very sterile. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I like this version of heaven, to be honest. No, the, the best version of heaven is uh, the good place. That's fair. Like, the final version of The the Good Place in the finale is honestly, like, what I I hope heaven is really like. So, and they are asked uh, what the meaning of life is. And they quote poison. What is the meaning of life? Every rose has its thorn. 
Just like every night has its dawn. Just like every cowboy sings a sad, sad song. Because of course they quote poison. Yes. Now, I don't believe that's the meaning of life. However, what would you say is your pop music meaning of life? Ooh, wow. I'm going to have to say you got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to fold them. Yikes. Know when to walk away, Libby, and know when to run. I think I'm going to run right now. <laughs> Before giving us your answer? Come on. <laughs> I know you've got one in the chamber. I do. Um, I have to think about this, um, but the one that comes to mind, and it's not even, I'm not even a Beatles fan, but I really think um, in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make is a really spectacular way to live your life. You know what? That's perfectly, perfectly uh, valid. Yeah. I like that so, one. Yeah. I just, I, I think about that a lot and I sort of know it more from the Chris Farley show. <laughs> of course. I was waiting <laughs> for the turn in that joke and there it is. Hey, uh, remember when uh, you were in the, the Beatles and uh, you did that um, album, Abbey Road, and uh, at the very end of uh, the song, uh, it was, song it goes, uh, and in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. You, you remember that? <laughs> yes. Uh, is that true? I mean, there's there's a lot. Uh, pop music philosophy is my favorite brand of philosophy. Yeah, and if if I had a chance to think about it for ten to fifteen minutes, I'd come up with a pretty good one. So yeah, so yeah. we'll we'll tweet out some other ones. Oh yeah, uh, we'll, we'll, so, we'll come up with some good stuff. Yeah, check out uh, OST Party mm-hmm. on Twitter. We'll have some more pop music for you. Absolutely, pop music philosophy. So having quoted Poison, that grants Bill and Ted an audience with God. This film's version of God is just a light at the top of a staircase. And mm-hmm. you know what? That's fine. Yeah. It kind of an interesting theology. Um, and that they do go with like a Judeo-Christian God. Mm-hmm. Which I think is a little lazy, but the sequence is only 10 minutes in the movie. So I get they, they didn't have time to make up an entire religion or an entire afterlife. If this whole movie had been Bill and Ted meet God, I'm sure we would have had a more nuanced take. Yes, but um, there is kind of a, the the underlying thread in this is that prayer works because they yeah. ask God for something and God gives it to them. Mm-hmm. So take that as you will. Yeah, and those... they, I I love sort of the exchange because they ask you know could you help us find someone to help us build something, and God's only answer is station. Which up to this point in the movie has just been an a, a vague affirmation, mm-hmm. to which all I could think of was that was God's way of saying, "Okay, I'll do that." Mm-hmm. But no, now we now we have to talk about station <sighs> because God sends them to this special part of heaven where they're playing charades as we meet these two tiny little Martian blobs <sighs> named Station. Yes, and these things upset me. I mean, they're just like Henson Creature Workshop like rejects. They're so unpleasant looking. And they only say station? 
Yeah, they're, yeah, they're basically a Pokemon. <laughs> and in a movie full of absolutely ridiculous choices, this is the dumbest one. Oh, God. And, well, I, and they somehow managed to make it dumber later on. Oh, yeah. We're not done with Station. <laughs> but so the the genesis of Station, I actually tweeted this out because like, I had to know where Station came from. And and somebody finally uh, t- sent me the the answer. The the writer Ed Solomon had had answered this a few years ago. Station was originally uh, part of a scene that got cut from the movie Interior Police Station, and the only word that somehow uh, survived was just the word "station" on a blank page. And so, having deleted it in a drunken fit, they came <gasps> back to it the next day and saw it and just thought it was the funniest thing ever. Just the random that's, word station in the script. That's wild. So they just started peppering it into the film. Okay. Up to and including naming this alien creature thing station. So wow. at, a, at a certain point, I'm sure this alien actually had a, a name. And they just decided to call it station. Now its name is station. Again, it's the dumbest thing in the movie. But the fact that it exists that way is why I love this movie. <laughs> Because, like, yeah, Station is a, a, is a dumb character, and I kind of don't care about it, but that's beautiful. Yeah, I'm kind of touched by that. Um, but while they are meeting Station, uh, Evil Bill and Ted are still wrecking their lives, and in this way, wrecking their apartment. But they are doing it to uh, Slaughter shouted out. Oh, yeah, let's take a listen to that one. I feel like if your name is Mark Slaughter, you kind of have to start a metal band. Is that really his name? That's his name. Oh, God. Yeah, this is one of those metal bands I just don't know anything about. Yeah. I don't don't know a lot about Slaughter. Yeah, they're just a metal band. This is just like the most hair metal of hair metal. Yeah. But I did learn this fun fact. Um, He was briefly with the... Uh, Vinnie Vincent Invasion, who had a song Love Kills on the Nightmare on Elm Street 4, the Dream Master soundtrack. Oh, wow. So, which did not include uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Nope. We've talked a little bit about uh, Freddy Krueger on this podcast. Maybe we should do an entire Freddy Krueger episode this Halloween. Maybe. Hmm. Hmm. There's an idea. Not the best idea, but let's move on. <laughs> it's definitely an idea. Yeah, this yeah. one didn't stand out to me except for just those delightful facts. It's just like, meh, it's hair metal. Yeah, it's it's generic it's hair metal. This yeah. is this is where we ended the last film, and it's where we're starting this, or at least the soundtrack, rather. Yes. This is the first song on the soundtrack. <laughs> it's where it's where we ended Excellent Adventure, and it's where we, we begin Bogus Journey. So yes. it's fine. I don't yeah. dislike... And it works for this scene. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's a little just... trashy and a little downbeat because Bill and Ted are evil in this scene. And mm-hmm. they're trash in the apartment. Mm-hmm. But wow. my favorite joke in this movie is in this the beginning of this scene, evil Bill is in the kitchen. And he just looks at a cake on the counter and goes, whoa, upside down cake. And then he picks it up and throws it upside down. <laughs> <laughs> 
like he made the joke and then decided, hey, I'll make this joke again. <laughs> it's just very it's silly. It's so juvenile guy. and so silly. I know, but that's, oh, it's so good. And uh, then they get a call from the future and Anomalous is telling them to uh, you know, get a move on it. Yeah, because they have to go be terrible at the Battle of the Bands. Right. I hate them. I hate the robot versions of them. You made us, dude. <laughs> so Bill and Ted and Death and Station go to save the day. They pack up into Bill and Ted's van to the tune of the song Showdown by the band Love on Ice. Let's take a listen. When I say it- say i thought that was a woman singing and it uh, was dan kruger and i was actually disappointed that is i was like hmm. i thought there was gonna be a woman on this soundtrack but i guess not no you're not gonna get a woman on the soundtrack i'm sorry so. at least at least uh excellent adventure had one mm-hmm. but uh not bogus journey that's that, that is a problem I'll, I'll admit that's a problem yeah that's okay though it's a very dude heavy movie I mean, this is a very dude-heavy series, but and this one in particular. Fine. This was very, like, 80s hair metal, but it was, like, dialed up for the 90s. This is another one of those tracks that just, like, straddles that line. Yeah, it's hair metal, but it's a little sludgier and a little more downbeat. And mm-hmm. good lord, it goes on for fucking ever. Yeah, I was kind of <laughs> done with this pretty quickly. Yeah. But fortunately, we don't have a, a whole lot of it because... Uh, Bill and Ted move on to the hardware store and we get the next song on our soundtrack. Like the next few songs just go boom, boom, boom. They're coming Mm -hmm. fast and furious. Yeah. Is uh, the next song is dream of a new day by Richie Kotzen. Let's take a listen to this one. This is more of that 90s flavor. This is really where the 90s kind of starts to influence the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I worked at FYE, I had this manager, Levi, and he was very funny and kind of corny in that way that like a good manager has to be. And he had a, a saying and a gesture. And if you did something good, he would give you the fist of rock. And if you didn't do something good, he gave you the limp fist of not rock. Ooh. And I feel like this song personifies the fist of rock in a good way like this is probably what's playing in levi's head all of the time <laughs> levi was a good boss oh, okay I'll, I'll give you that that's good yeah. like probably just like driving around in his 89 dodge just like working at fye wearing khakis listening to weird butt rock <laughs> wherever you are levi i hope you're well you know, every, they always say every movie is is somebody's favorite movie, and I'm sure every song is somebody's favorite song. Yeah. So I'll bet this was his favorite song. I hope so. I hope <laughs> it brings him joy. He deserves nothing but the best. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a fine song. It's 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 more of that sort of night. It's it's got a lot more of the like the the slap bass influence in it, and I oh, think yeah. that that makes it more '90s than anything else. But uh, so yeah, Bill and Ted are at the hardware store collecting and buying up all the things that they need to make 
good robot uses, as they put it. Yes. Which, they, they just get a list uh, from Station, and Station and Death go around. At one point, um, Death sees someone smoking in the hardware store, <laughs> and he just says, I'll see you soon. Yeah, and the guy, like, real quietly, like, puts the cigarette out. <laughs> Which is weird, because, like, I can't even think of when the last time I saw somebody, like, smoking in, it, like, in a store was. Yeah, that's true. It, or in a restaurant or anywhere. Because we've done a very good job in this country of sort of stigmatizing smoking. Yeah. But it's, and it's just so weird. Um, you know, because like you see people smoking in movies and in like movies from the, you know, 40s and 50s or whatever. But in the 90s, it's just like this guy is smoking in a hardware store. Yeah. So I, I remember the last time I think. I was in high school visiting my grandma in Oklahoma, and that was the last time somebody asked, like, smoking or non-smoking. Really? So, yeah. They wow. still, up until the late 90s, maybe even early 2000s, you could still smoke in restaurants in Oklahoma. That's amazing. Yeah, they weren't going to let the government tell them they could or couldn't smoke. I'll smoke with my mask on. I don't give a damn. Yeah, probably. <laughs> God. <laughs> But, but um, uh, a couple of th- things about this scene. It inter- it's a, it's funny to me that this is a hardware store that they go to because in the one episode that I watched of the Bill and Ted TV series, Bill and Ted work at a hardware store. Why? Because here they work what like a cheese factory. Yeah, it's they work at this place called Pretzels and Cheese, and I don't know what that is. But in the TV show, they're working at the hardware store. And so I have to wonder, did they know that writing this movie and say, oh, well, they used to work at the hardware store. We'll go to the hardware store. No, I think it's just it's the only place that makes sense where you're going to get the kind of things you need to build good good Bill and Ted robots. I guess so. Yeah. And a junkyard wouldn't be that interesting. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. And it's it's fun to get the scene where death is sort of comparing sides and hose in a in a hardware store. Yeah, it's just a fun gag. It is. And then we get uh, as they're building. Well, because Station has to build this thing. So, oh, yeah. (sighs) So the grossest thing in the movie happens. And the two stations collide and form into one giant station. And, you know, good for you guys for building this, like, disgusting prosthetic thing that has to, like, writhe around on the ground. But it's gross. Yeah, it's gross and nobody wants to see it. No. Station is a giant butt. From outer okay, space. we weren't the only ones who thought that. Okay, oh, you good. thought that too? Okay, yeah. Yeah, because Ian's like, Station is a giant butt. <laughs> well, Station has a giant butt, but also he just is a giant butt. Yeah, he's a butt with a butt drawn on it. <laughs> Don't overlook my butt. I work out all the time, and reaping burns a lot of calories. Death is the best. Because death, if, if, if nothing else, death is, is vain and kind of a priss. <laughs> and that's why we love him. This is a death fan cast now. Absolutely. Um, but so Wild, Wild Station is building the robots in the, in the backseat of the van, and Bill and Ted are driving to the Battle of the Bands. We get the song Battle Stations by the band Winger. And I can't believe I'm saying this. Let's listen to some winger. Hell yeah. Take no 
kind of like party trash metal that I don't mind. This is one of the better songs on the album, I'll say. This is my second favorite track on the album, flat out. Oh, yeah, big same. Yeah, because you just, you feel good when you hear stuff like this. Like, you just feel like you can rock and, like, take on the world. This yeah, is like, definitely Fist of Rock, held high. Yeah, this, this pumps you up, and it's a good song to get us into the finale, because, like, it, it's written for the movie. Winger wrote this for the movie. That makes me so happy. And it's about, you know, arming yourselves and getting ready, it's t- taking your battle stations. And it's about Bill and Ted driving to a battle of the bands while an alien builds a robot. Yeah, there's the line, like, never get between me and my guitar. Oh man, how good is that? <laughs> That's every every dude who owns a guitar knows exactly yeah. what that means. They feel that. Um metal is the only genre where you can really like sing about the genre and it doesn't sound goofy and stupid. I mean it does, but but it's, relatively it's somehow less works so. and they're just like singing about like rock and roll. Yeah, exactly. Ac- according to Kip Winger, uh this was originally meant to be the lead single from the album. But then Winger's Winger's record label stepped in and refused on the grounds that they did not want this song competing with their actual new Winger album that had just been released. Oh, that's too bad because the single from this album is not as good. It's not quite as good, no. But uh, (laughs) this is a very fun song and I appreciate that it's here. Yes, it brings me joy. It brings us so much joy. And something I genuinely never thought I would say about a Winger song in 2020. (laughs) Uh, I actually went to Kip Winger's personal website for this podcast, people, thinking that I was going to find some information about this song, and I didn't, and I knew that Aww. going in. But his 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 personal website looks like like this is Kip Winger trying to advertise himself to you. He just wants to play music for you. Please hire me. <laughs> it's just like, dude, you're not a you know wedding DJ. You're in Winger. Yeah, a slideshow of different clips of Kip Winger putting on his, his serious rock jacket and playing in front of a, uh, an orchestra. And this is supposed to make you think that, oh, Kip Winger is serious about his art. And I'm sure he is. Honestly, oh, yeah. I have nothing against Kip Winger. I don't know a lot about him. But uh, I, I just find his personal website kind of amusing. That's adorable. We'll link to that in the show notes. Please hire Kip Winger for your bar mitzvah. Kipwinger.com is distinct. Is different from wingertheband.com. He has two different websites. Oh, God. <laughs> so go to wingertheband.com for all of your Winger the Band needs. <laughs> so we're on our way to the finale. It's coming. It's, we're almost there. Um, one thing I will say about the robots, though, is I love that Station built the robots to wear the same clothes that Bill and Ted are wearing. Yes, and they look terrible. They don't oh. look like good robots. They look like they're going to fall apart at any second. Yeah, they, they look like they're made of literal trash. <laughs> it's, it's so janky and so horrible looking, but that, that, it adds to the charm. Yes. It adds to like, the, ch- the, char- the janky, horrible charm of the whole movie. <laughs> so following this, we cut to the Battle of the Bands, where the band Primus is playing their song, Tommy the Cat. Okay. And I feel like we have to play a clip of this song. We do, but I'm not going to like it. Well, I remember this song a meal ago. The dummy the cat is a real back clear of a form out of me. This little twain to his mighty throat. Many a fat of the rat met his demise while starting point blank on the covetous barrel. This awesome prowling machine. Truly a wonder of nature, this urban predator. Tommy the cat had many a story to tell. But it was a rare occasion such as this that he did. This version doesn't have Tom Waits in it. 
<laughs> which makes me dislike it even more. Jump straight to the problem, yes. So, I don't get pri- Please explain Primus to me. I don't get them. Like, I feel like I should, but I don't. I think Primus is music for people who think metal music is incredibly stupid, but they also love metal music way too much. Okay, so it's me- metal for people with, like, MFAs in... Honestly, like, kind of... they're too good for metal? Yeah, kind of, yeah. It's... It's an absolute 100% goof of a band. It's a parody of metal. But honestly, uh, Les Claypool might be the best bass player on the planet. Okay. And he's wasting his talents on a in, on a joke band. Yeah, because I, I just like, one, I think I get them confused with Fish a lot. Oh, God, Which yeah. could not be further, those two things could not be further apart. Except that Fish is another band I don't understand. Yeah, Fish is premise for people who don't know what jokes are. <sighs> I just I thought like Fish was Dave Matthews for people who are mad. Fish is Fish is Dave Matthews band for Dave Matthews. Oh, boy. That's what Dave Matthews listens to. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I I I want to like Primus, but I just I don't. I just do not like Primus. It's yeah. I mean, I and I get it. I completely understand because it's just it sounds like a train wreck and it sounds like a joke because partially it is, but also you know he is. Just this ridiculously talented bass player who does incredibly strange things with his instrument and like things that no other musician is doing or even trying to do. And well, like playing it with his butt? Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's playing his bass like it's a guitar, and the guitar is just kind of like there as filler. So he's the star of the band, but also mm-hmm. they're just I don't even know how to describe Primus because they're just so strange. But I will tell you, like, this song was so popular at the time because like this their album had just come out and this was the lead single from that album for some reason because it's got tom waits on it because it's got tom waits on it but also uh it got insanely popular so a i don't think they're even like qualified to or eligible to play at a battle of the bands like if you have a major label contract i think you're yeah. automatically disqualified mm-hmm. but, but also <laughs> so this song was like their biggest hit to that point and i know at Primus shows, they would introduce every other song in their set as this this next song is also not Tommy the Cat. Because <laughs> apparently people just love some Tommy the Cat. It's different. It's a song about a cat talking about the time that he got laid. It's very odd. Which definitely makes sense to get Tom Waits. Right? Of course. Of course Tom Waits would yell. Like, no, what? Yeah, Everything about I... this is just inscrutable. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand it. Yeah, either either you don't get it or you're all about it, and that's exactly where this podcast like breaks down. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. That makes I, sense. I make no bones about the fact that I have terrible taste in music. So No, you have actually your tastes in music are sort of fascinating and varied, which I appreciate. Well, thank you. It's this is like I said, this is a real kind of like learning experience for me getting to listen to this kind of stuff. I appreciate you being my tour guide. <laughs> I I try, I really do. But I don't even know what Primus is doing in the album or even in the film. I guess they needed some kind of musical act to appear in the film. But why Primus? It seems like something one of those guys would be really into. Maybe. I don't know that Bill and Ted understand Primus. No, but Keanu <laughs> probably does. Oh, that's true. Yeah, Keanu looks like a Primus fan. Mr. Dogstar over here knows all about Primus. Yes. <laughs> so Primus plays their big song. And uh, for about 11 seconds. Yeah, for about 11 seconds. And then then it's Bill and Ted's turn. Once again, like Excellent Adventure, Bill and Ted are the last act of the evening. Mostly because Pam Greer thinks that 
they will be uh, there when everybody has gone home. Yeah, nobody's watching at this point, so sure, put Bill and Ted on. Although everyone is there. It is a packed house. <laughs> everybody is still there, and the cameras are still rolling. But they're like the 10 to 1 spot on Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. Like, who cares at that point? Yeah. But Evil Bill and Ted come out and basically announce their intent to murder the princesses on live television. <laughs> and then Bill and Ted show up <laughs> with the good robots, and uh, the good robots immediately just decapitate the evil robots, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's very anticlimactic. I know it's it's over so soon, but I love it. It was apparently like part of a longer finale where the evil robots constantly like, repeatedly murder Bill and Ted, and then because death is there, he just keeps bringing them back. See, I like that version better. It would be, it would be great because yeah, they defeated him four times, mm-hmm. so it just makes sense. But I guess I guess they decided that they had to keep this get this thing moving and just end it already. Yeah. And then uh, Denomalous shows up to destroy Bill and Ted himself. And also because they're transmitting on every television channel throughout the world now, he gets to, de- gets to deliver his message of fascism and evil and death to Bill and Ted. And then Bill and Ted defeat Denomalous in another one of those weird like logic traps that the first film kind of used. But it, it moves pretty quickly, which is it good does. because... Because it's something we've already seen, it could get exhausting very quick. Right. Like, they know we know the score already, so we just, like, get it over with. Yeah, move it along. So they defeat Denomalous, and Death Melvins him. (laughs) Like, sure. (laughs) Just for kicks. Whatever. Proving that Death is the best character in the whole film. Yeah, he's one of the guys now, because he can prank with him, too. And that's beautiful. Like, Bill and Ted have actually, like, made a friend here. Yeah. I love that. But then uh, Miss Wardrobe, Pam Greer, reveals that she is, in fact, Rufus. Which is disappointing, honestly. A little bit, yeah. Like, to see an, a, an awesome, badass black woman just to be, like, a white dude underneath. I'm just like, oh, man. Yeah, that's true. Just disappointing. But he, he makes a good point. Like, hey, would anyone else have let you in this contest? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, sure. Yeah. Because they realize now they have to play. So they have to learn how to play. The whole world is watching. So Bill and Ted, what are you going to do? So they make they take off in the uh, phone booth for 16 months. They train, have little baby Bill and Ted along the way, come back, and then unite the world with the song God Gave Rock and Roll to You. Let's take a listen. song is very standard kiss but i like the sentiment even if i uh, i would expand it to include all music yeah yeah so it just it's sort of thinking about the cosmic nature of music have you ever had an emg no what is that it's a it's a muscle test and i had one this week on, oh right and they put a needle into you and they listen to your muscles and one, I felt so connected to my vinyl collection right there. Like, I understood. But just when you think, like, music exists within the body. Obviously, you have your heartbeat, you have the sound of blood, you have, you know, just noises the body makes. But even inside your muscles, there is noise and music and sound that can be revealed by putting, by dropping a needle in. Yeah. 
And it was this very cosmic sense of just like music exists within the physical and within the soul. And that's, I got thinking about that, um, you know, all week because I was kind of playing this over in my head and I've been very sort of philosophical about music ever since then. That's beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> it hurt like hell, but I don't oh, have I'm carpal sure. tunnel. You do or you don't? I don't. I just have something else fucked up wrong with me that oh, they don't great. know yet. Well, I mean, good, but also, oh, great. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. We'll figure it out. Yikes. But yeah, this song, yeah, I guess this is an easy song to, to end the movie with. And I'm not sure if the, if they picked this because it's, a ki- I mean, Kiss re-recorded it. This is a cover. But I'm not yeah. sure if they picked this because it spoke to something in the movie or if it was just like an easy pull, you know? I think it's probably a pretty easy pull. And it was the the single. So, because it kind of makes sense. Yeah, it's the big song at the end of the movie. It got the music video, you know, it got all the attention. So, sure, that I, I get that. And yeah. this was this was in that, like, weird period for Kiss where they had, like, gotten rid of the makeup and they were trying to make it as, like, a hair metal band. Because everybody was back in the eight, back in the late eighties and early nineties, mm-hmm. and yeah. d- depending on how you feel about Kiss, either it either worked or it didn't. I'm not really a big Kiss fan. I'm so. not. Um, and just as as you know, we were saying, uh, this is another one from our under the covers. Uh, it was originally it's a 1973 song, which is why it has still that like glam metal vibe. Um, yeah. by the British band Argent. Yeah, who I found out were made up of members of the zombies and the kinks i didn't yes. know that and then which you know what god gave us the kinks so god definitely gave us rock and roll absolutely um but yeah um petra covered it in 1977 and in 1984 and uh kiss covered it in 1991 so and there's a little bit of a, like a bittersweet uh history to this song for kiss at least because this was the last song that they recorded with their their drummer Eric Carr, who mm-hmm. passed away later that year from uh, he had, he battled heart cancer for a long time, which meant he couldn't drum on the album, but he was able to sing on the chorus. So this was the last song he ever he ever got to sing on was "God Gave Rock and Roll to You," which yeah. is kind of kind of nice, kind of a like nice send off. So it's a, yeah, that was that would have been exactly the word I would have used, but also. So. I feel like this song is like a really nice send off for that entire era of music. Yeah. Like the era of like the eighties hair metal metal, like where it was all about sort of not, not necessarily positivity, but sort of the party vibe and how every, mm-hmm. you know, everything, everybody feels good about hair metal because it's just one big party and, you know, sure. God gave rock and roll to you because, you know, party on dudes. <laughs> Yeah. And then after this, you know, music metal became, you know, darker and sludgier and grungier and just generally a lot less fun. And mm-hmm. this is like the last fun metal song, really. Yeah. So that that makes sense. Feel free to argue with me about what the last fun metal song is. Uh, tweet at us at OST Party on uh, Twitter. Always. You're always welcome to argue with us. But this is a good. This, I honestly, I like this song. It's it's corny and sappy, but it works. Yeah, and as I said, this is the you know metal seems to be the only genre where you can write about like rock and roll and your guitars and things like that, and it somehow works. Yeah, even to the point where like Tenacious D did a whole album where that's just like every song is a joke about that, and it still worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah. So, because Jack Black is funny and awesome, and we should mm-hmm. do School of Rock one of these days. Oh, we really should. Uh, but I, I also think it's just really funny that, like, this is the song that unites the world. And you see the montage at the end of everybody around the world dancing to this song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is not ne- not necessarily a danceable song, but that doesn't yeah. stop him from trying. Yeah, I don't know if this would unite me. I'd probably still go with Battle Stations by Winger, but... Um, you know, if we're picking songs off the Bill and Ted soundtrack, if not, I have an endless number of songs, but, uh, you know, I guess yeah. it, it also goes back to, yeah, like God gave us rock and roll cause God gave us station and the evil, or, you know, is able to build the, the good Bill and Ted. And this was the, his gift ultimately. If you yeah. Will. And, as, and especially like after an era where, uh, you know, the parents of the world are vilifying rock music and, you know, religious types are calling it devil worshiping music. You know, it's kind of a nice antithesis to that where it's like, no, God gave us all kinds of music, especially rock yeah. and roll. Exactly. That's a, a faith I can get behind. Absolutely. And so. once again, you know, this song, this song is basically the running theme for Bill and Ted three. So they, okay. they remember where they came from. I'll say that. Good, good, good. <laughs> But then, oh, as the, as Bill and Ted are playing the song, as Wild Stallions is uniting the world, that's how the film ends. That's like Bill and Ted high five, roll credits. But then we get this amazing end credits sequence where we go on to see what what Wild Stallions would do and how they unite the world mm-hmm. through. Like, and it's news, all yeah, the news clippings and all fantastic news clippings. <laughs> uh, my my personal favorite is. Uh, the Reaper wins Indy 500 and quote, I didn't know I could run that fast. <laughs> yeah. That was my favorite too. It's great. Also Chuck Denomalous to wed Missy. Yup. <laughs> of course she did. Yup. <laughs> Culminating in wild stallions going to Mars to play Mars. Yep. There was a brief uh, rumor that they had broken up and the stock market crashed, but don't worry. Wild stallions didn't break up. It was just, it was a hoax. <laughs> it's great I, it, it, it's such a fun ending too like i don't mm-hmm. i didn't need to see you know how bill and ted save the world after bogus journey but that in credit sequence it really does the trick yes and we also get the uh the reaper rap yes that's the last song that we hear on the soundtrack <sighs> which this was when you could have anybody talking over music and it was considered a rap yeah and it's one of those songs that we've talked about on the so- the show before, where they just take clips from the movie and put it to music, mm-hmm. and most often it doesn't work. Nope. And in this one, it's still not great, but it works better than some we've heard. I, yes. I just maybe and maybe maybe that's just because I like this movie and I like the lines from this movie, so I'm okay with that. Yeah, it's it's pleasant. I it's it's not uh, Men in Black. Oh no, no! I mean, as far as rap songs that sum up movies, no, I would, I would hesitate to even call it a rap song. Yeah, it's really not, but it's a clip show. Yeah, <laughs> I do appreciate that they constantly go back to death, shouting, "Get down with your bad self!" <laughs> and I really like he, uh, he has a, a moment where because he's joined the band, he's on bass, which makes perfect sense. Sure. Um, where he says, I just put the clip in because I don't remember exactly how it goes. Uh, oh, this so, is, but sooner or later you end up 
You dance with the Reaper. You you might be a king or a little street sweeper, but sooner or later you'll dance with the Reaper. Yeah, because <laughs> you know none of us get out of this alive, and so no. it's it's nice to reflect once in a while on your mortality and you know, are you doing what you need to be doing in this life mm-hmm. to live are, it to its fullest? Are you living this life most excellently or not? Exactly. Are you partying on when it is appropriate to party? Mm-hmm. To, to to go all the way back to you know Monty Python, are, are you looking on the bright side of life? Or, or if we're looking at the meaning of life, are you wearing enough Ooh. hats? <laughs> Very good. So that's Bill and Ted's bogus journey. Uh, I don't know if I've like really explained what I connect to about this film yet. We've talked for two hours and change. I think what I what I appreciate most about this film above excellent adventure is that like this movie does get into you know a person's place in the universe heaven hell you know the past the future and bill and ted are forced to realize that you know they have to be okay with themselves at a certain point and realize that you know now is not a bad time or place to be well you know the age of covid is different but you know there are worse things than being being just okay at music and having cool stories to tell and you know I, I appreciate that. I appreciate a, a movie that can just say, you know, all, all we have to do is to just be excellent, again, be excellent to each other, but also, you know, let's rock. Let's have a party. Yeah. yeah. And we we forget that things are very difficult and tough right now. And sometimes you do have to, for- you do have to party. And that is not, you know, balloons and streamers and a ton of people, but that is a state of mind. Yes. There's much to celebrate in this life, even in small ways. So find those small ways and party on. As uh, I'm stealing this from an, another podcast, but uh, the best way to think about be excellent to each other and party on dudes is to say that, you know, this, this party, this party called life can continue as long as we're, we're willing to party. And that's beautiful. Yeah, it really is. So it's a party every time. We're here. That's why we call it the OST party. That's why we call it the OST party, because we have such a great time talking about movies and music and all kinds of fun stuff. I guess the next thing I have to ask is, like, of the music of Bogus Journey, how does this album, like, hang together for you as an album? I think this better captures the the mood of the film. It's not one that I would listen to, but I think it holds together as a soundtrack better than Excellent Adventure, which I think had more tracks that I enjoyed but didn't hang together as well for the film what about you yeah i i agree i think it's it comes right down to mood like excellent adventure is has more of a party vibe and this one is a little bit darker and a little bit more i guess as existential especially when you talk, think about sort of how this movie and this album is like the death knell for 80s butt rock which is how i like to think about it and in that sense you know it works i think it's got a couple of songs that are just filler but you know the ones that the ones that really hang hold the film together are really strong even if yeah. tom even if tommy the cat is for, is one of them for basically no reason yeah it's it's still it's extremely 1991 and that's basically where this movie exists yeah and it's consistent it doesn't it doesn't bounce around it it picks a mood and it kind of holds it yeah yeah so in that way i think it actually works very well so yeah um, now, I actually have a couple things. They're not necessarily fan mail, but I'd like to uh, like to read these. Okay. So um, this 
little Twitter thought comes from our friend Matthew Quinn Martin, who says, Okay, hear me out. What if the real reason Joan of Arc was burned at the stake was that she couldn't stop telling everyone about Bill and Ted? Happy Bill and Ted Day, everyone. And then in a nod to me, he oh said, my God. It would Yeah, right? And then he yeah, says, That makes way too much sense. Yes, it says it would also explain where she got that Walkman. And that is a reference to the Smith's song, Big Mouth Strikes Again. Um, and in the live version, he sings, And now I know how Joan of Arc felt as the flames rose to her Roman nose and her Walkman started to melt. Whoa. Bogus. Heinous. <laughs> <laughs> so... That's great. Yeah, I was. I That's my great. mind was blown on that one. So, way to go, Matthew. Uh, the next one actually comes. Uh, I was at Reimagine Records in New Hartford, which is the best record store in upstate New York, and I was flipping through soundtracks, and I picked up uh, "Married to the Mob" and a nice. couple others, including one that you're going to get in the mail. Oh boy! And I turned to the person I was with, my friend Ken French, and was saying, oh, we just did this one for OST party. Joe's going to love or hate it. And the guy next to me said, you guys do a podcast? And I said, yes, it's called OST party. It's a movie soundtrack podcast. And he seemed very enthused about it. Okay. He's like, oh, I can't wait to listen to that. I love movie soundtracks. So... Uh, we may have grabbed a fan. He says we should do Xanadu. Xanadu. He says if we do Xanadu, he'll be a subscriber for life. Well, that I guess we have to. At some point, we'll have to do Xanadu. I can I can hang with that. Yeah, but it won't be next week. No, because what are we doing next week? Next week, we are going to do Valentine's Day a little early because we don't know what the future holds. So we're just going to do all our holidays right in a row. Uh, we are going to do Down With Love, Ooh. which is one of my favorite films, and I'm so excited to talk about it, and I promise that only 75% of it will be me just being horny for Ewan McGregor. This is a film I haven't thought about in like 15 years, so oh, yeah. I'm going to have to really do some homework. Oh yeah, by the time we talk about this i should have the poster hung up on my wall it's been framed in my apartment for years oh nice so (laughs) yes it's one of my favorites that's gonna be a fantastic time uh so yes uh i guess that's gonna do it for this episode of the ost party so if you have any uh questions or comments or any you know recommendations for episodes you'd like to hear us do in the future you can get those to us at ostpartypod at gmail.com you can tweet at us at OST Party Pod on Twitter, or uh, hey, you can you can find us on on the internets as well. Libby, where can our listeners find you? You can find me on Twitter at Libby Cudmore. You can find me on Instagram at record underscore Saturday, or you can listen to me over on the Shattered Shield podcast. We're finishing up season five. We're going to take a little bit of a break, and then we're going to jump into season six. Joe, where can they find you? They can find me on Twitter at Cordial Wombat, or you can find me talking about Christmas movies all year long at at Christmas Creeps on Twitter. It's a Christmas movie podcast. Uh, we just released an episode on a film called Dial Code Santa Claus, which is the the French film that may or may not have inspired Home Alone. It's oh. insane. Huh. Okay. It's not a comedy. It is a straight up horror thriller. Do they know that? 
They, they, it was very much on purpose, yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so definitely check that out. Uh, but until then, I've been Joseph Wade. And I'm Libby Cutmore. Saying be excellent to each other. And party on! station.